good night. Hello, cocktail lovers. Welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk, the show brought to you by the 52 Martini's Guide to Paris Cocktail Bars. I'm Forrest Collins, and I'm here to talk to you about the trends and traditions of drinking in France. Now, those of you who have followed me and read me and know me for many years, you know that ice has been like the bane of my existence here in France. I mean, it's such a big issue. And it's, I feel like such a reason that it took so long for cocktails to take off in Paris. And I'm going to link to this in my show notes later, but about 13 years ago, I wrote an article for Hit Paris that has a very funny joke, if I do say so myself, and also a lot of um, kind of discussion about the fact that ice is not prevalent in France. Now that's changing and that has been changing for quite a while, but I am not just really excited because we're talking about ice in France. I am excited because I have somebody who I think is just like somebody who I just kind of geek out on like reading and following and whatever. And basically I'm going to tell you, you can't be talking about ice period, not just ice in France. You can't be talking about ice, especially when we're talking about in the, you know, the contemporary cocktail culture without talking about, yeah, I'm talking about Camper English. He is here in the show on, on the show with me today. And uh, in case you're one of the rare people who don't know who he is, he is a cocktail and spirits writer. He's a speaker. He's covered the craft cocktail movement for over 15 years. He's contributed to a ton of publications, Popular Science, Severe Details, Whiskey Advocate, Drinks International, et cetera, et cetera. His um, last book is really awesome. Um, Doctors and Distillers. It, it talks about the medicinal history of beer, wine, spirits, cocktails. Um, he's got a new book out, which we're going to talk about in this show. He's based also on my old coast of the U.S. He's based in San Francisco. Um, so anyway, okay, I think that's 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 my big introduction. We're going to talk about him more later, some other things he's doing. But okay, I'm done talking for a second. Welcome, Camper. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks, Forrest. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we're going to crack right into this. My first question is, and I think a lot of people who are listening to me already appreciate Clear Eyes, but for those who don't, um, can you talk to us about why is Clear Eyes important? Well, Clear Ice uh, in a cocktail, it does melt a little bit more slowly than cloudy ice, which tends to start melting and then eventually cracks and splits, and that creates more surface area. So it continues to melt more rapidly and dilute the drink more rapidly, which you know can be a good thing if you wanted to get a drink cold fast. But for the most part, clear ice just looks so much better than cloudy ice. And um, it's sort of like you can eat a meal off of a paper plate or fine china and it's the same food at the end of the day it's the same cocktail at the end of the day but the experience of enjoying it is vastly improved uh, with the aesthetics of nice clear ice i have to say i agree with that and i mean as somebody who like you i've been in the cocktail world for a long time um, but the more and more that i appreciate drinks with clear ice when i see even what i make at home which is not always clear ice. I kind of think, oh, that looks so budget and creepy, my cloudy ice. But okay. So for those who are listening, who don't know, um, clear ice, uh, you can make it at home and you went through, I, I, I think you kind of went through a lot of process. We'll talk about that a little bit, uh, 
in your, I guess, search to discover how to create clear eyes at home. So you came to the um, realization that directional freezing was uh, the way to do this, but can you, I, I guess, talk to us first about the steps that you went through before you discovered how to do it? Because I think that's interesting. I mean, I know we all back in the day all heard boil your ice. So walk us through a little bit what what happened for you practically before you got to the, the you know aha moment. Sure. Well, um, as a drinks writer, I've never been satisfied to just report on what other people are doing. I've got a I've got a middle. And so that is what happened. I a lot of bartenders were talking closer to the beginning of this rebirth in cocktails that we're experiencing now. They started making big ice cubes to put drinks like the old fashioned on for a slow melt and a more premium experience than a whole bunch of little pieces of ice in a cocktail glass. And so there had become some uh, some theories as to how to make the best, clearest ice uh, in that method. And this is long before there were any kind of clear ice trays or even before the big two-inch ice cube trays that are um, have been out now for a long time. So everyone was doing a, a do-it-yourself experiment in their bars. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Like, I would like to test systematically what the rumored ways to make clear ice are and and see what works and what doesn't. And so I went through very methodically and I would do boil the water. And then I had heard from some bars that they would boil the water and freeze the ice and then let the water melt and freeze it again. And so I would do that about 10 times and take a picture of the ice on each cycle and just show that it wasn't getting any clearer. So like, okay, we can disprove that. I didn't actually think I was going to solve the problem. I was just sort of going through uh, the rumored ways uh, that bartenders were working with it. But eventually I was noticing the container shape uh, seemed to make a lot of difference, but then it was realizing that the way uh, a pond freezes is closer to how we wanted our water to freeze into ice, basically from the top down. Uh, this became known, I didn't call it like Eureka, that's directional freezing right away, <laughs> but that became the term that we all use to describe what was going on. Uh, the short answer is uh, we rather than how an ice cube freezes, which is it's cold on basically all sides of each individual ice cube compartment, and it freezes from the outside in towards the middle. As water freezes, it turns out that crystal lattice that the ice is forming into pushes away any trapped air and any other impurities like minerals or chlorine, if your water's chlorinated, etc., pushes it away from the point of freezing. So in a typical ice cube, that's generally in towards the center. And so you'll notice in ice cubes that you make at home, the outsides are typically quite clear and as a cloudy core. I came to the very, uh, now in retrospect, very obvious and simple observation <laughs> that if we freeze only from one direction uh, to another direction, we can't get rid of the cloudy part, but we can control where the cloudy part is. So if we use a hard-sided a lunch cooler or a beer cooler and fill it with water and put it into our freezers with the top off, then the water will melt in or freeze into ice only from at its surface because it's insulated on all the sides. So it'll start freezing from the top door down towards the bottom. All the top stuff is perfectly clear and only the last part of the water to freeze into ice is where it's cloudy. And that 
sort of discovery, I guess I made about 13 years ago. And since then, there's been a lot of refinements and uh, improvements on it. And a lot of other people have really gotten on board with taking it in new directions. And that that's what forms the core of the ice book. So it's uh, that one basic theory of how water freezes into ice and then a lot of stuff to do with it now that you know. That's what I actually find so interesting about ice. Um, I did a couple of years ago, I did an interview with um, Joseph and Brittany who have a company here, um, the nice company, and it's the only company that makes ice in Paris. And they said, are you sure that there's enough to talk about ice for a half hour? I said, oh, absolutely. For me, yeah, I could talk about ice forever. So it's this real basic idea, but there's so much more to it, I feel like. So, um, okay. So you've got the book and it's going to, well, it's a whole book basically, um, so there's more, way more than half hour to talk about it. Um, but I have a, a few more questions about it. So when we're talking about the directional freezing, does it matter what kind of water you put in there? Does it, I mean, we've established it doesn't really need to be boiled. Does it matter if it's filtered? Can it just be tap water? Is there like any, like, I don't know, specifics around the water? Uh, well, uh, yeah, correct. It does not need to be boiled. And there's uh, it boiling the water actually can improve the overall clarity of ice by a little bit. But if we compare that with, say, the time and energy used to boil the water and then to let it cool and then let it freeze, kind of that's a, a lot of energy that's essentially wasted for like a little bit improvement in clarity. Um, I most of the time just use regular tap water, but some people have tap water that's so... It, it tastes so bad that uh, they would never dream of drinking it unfiltered in the first place. Uh, I usually filter my water at home, but I use regular tap water for my ice. Uh, other people have said, oh, even when I make ice, I use filtered water because even the ice tastes uh, pretty bad with, with water out of the tap from where they live. So you don't need to, but you can. You know, I'm like... Knock yourself out. Go ahead. Use filtered water if you want, but you don't need it to make clear ice. Uh, it's only if you're if you find your ice still tastes uh, yucky after you freeze it. But in generally, that process of directional freezing is pushing away all the stuff that gives the ice its flavor into the last part to freeze. And actually, if you use a dissolved solids meter, a TDS meter, um, you can. Measure your tap water as it is and say it's 100 parts per million, and that's your mineral content, uh, sodium, calcium, etc. And uh, if you freeze it into ice and then separate the cloudy from the clear part and then let those melt, the clear part will now have, oh, I don't know, 20 at the most parts per million solids in it. And the cloudy part will have an increased concentration and it'll go up in concentration. So we can see it's it's a form of uh, distillation or filtration just by freezing water into ice. And so that's how uh, we know that we don't need to usually control for the water that's going into because the process takes care of it for us. That makes that uh, makes me think of another question, which um, I feel like I should probably be using clear ice for this. So, you know, I like to drink a lot of martinis. I don't think that's a surprise for anybody listening <laughs> to this. Um, but I drink a lot of martinis and I get a lot of this like weird um, and I just use like standard ice cubes. I don't use clear ice cubes for that. And maybe I should be because I sometimes I get this like what I call ice dandruff. 
Um, if I were mm-hmm. using cl- clear, is that because there's like, um, like particles in the water or, or do you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of these little white flakes that like drop down into my, um, yep. martini. So if I were, if I were using like nicely clear ice cubes without solve that problem, should I now be taking the extra step for my stirred cocktails and do that? Well, I think those flakes come from the ice cube trays. You're using silicone trays. I am. And I'm going to talk to you about that too, because I also read your tips in your book, but yes, I am using silicone trays, but I clean them with vinegar and I clean them out and I still seem to get that. Yeah. I have not found a way that completely removes that, that film that, that creates the ice dandruff and it's coming from the tray. It doesn't, it doesn't act like it's just minerals because they're a little floater looking like wax or plastic or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, When I've talked to other folks who've also tried to get rid of that stuff, um, the conclusion that people have tried the most uh, have reached is uh, you just have to throw them away. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. I actually really literally didn't start this podcast to find the solution to my ice dandruff, but wow. Okay. (laughs) New ice trays is the solution. And I don't know if we can, I kind of have a theory that if after you make ice in them, if you uh, rinse or wash them out in, in between that, there's less of that. I have all my ice trays at home. I don't, I'm not obsessive about it or anything like that, but um, I do every few times I will give them a little soap and water uh, just on the theory that maybe it's helping uh, prevent buildup. Um, But that's a theory that I haven't fully tested yet. Okay. Well, something for a future book or something that I will just try out myself. So, okay. Uh, But I, I feel better. It's not just me that's got the ice dandruff problem. So that's at least... Yeah, I can sleep better. Um, (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to, for the listeners, I'm going to put links to both the book and to Camper's site academics in the show notes. So you really can take a deep dive. I mean, we're not just going to sit here and give you a whole lesson on how to make clear ice, but it's really worth, um, it's really worth taking a look online and reading this and, and doing some trials at home. Um, But I also want to talk to Camper since I've got him here a little bit more about just like he's also, you know, if you're not familiar with his site and his and what he's done, he's also done some fun stuff with freezing things in ice, freezing, you know. Um, so, Camper, can we talk about that a little bit? Like, um, sure. you've done that. I want to know two questions. I, I sh- shouldn't do this as an interview or go, here's several questions, but one, what are the challenges? And two, what's the funnest thing you've frozen in ice? Well, um, so by using directional freezing, we're freezing things into clear ice and they look so much better than if you, a lot of folks try at home, freezing flowers or something like that into cubes. And they really, most of the time, don't look all that great unless you're doing it with the directional freezing method. Um, And uh, the challenges are really about um, air bubbles and floating and sinking. So you want to, uh, if you think of using a big cooler, which which you don't have to, you can use smaller clear ice optimizing trays. Um, and you have, say, a flower. Flowers like to float on the surface. They really don't like to be submerged. And uh, in order to freeze those in the ice, we want to dunk them and shake out every possible bit of air that's in there and maybe hold them upside down by the stem, for example, as a way that is going to uh, prevent air bubbles from building up because air bubbles will make cloudy ice at the end of the day for whatever it is that you're freezing inside of your 
ice cube or block. Um, for fun stuff, I, you know, come Halloween, you know, uh, probably don't have these in Paris, but the Halloween superstore concept, it's um, every year these pop-up stores happen um, before Halloween and they turn an empty store into a giant Halloween supply warehouse. And I'm like first in line <laughs> and my entire <laughs> goal is to see what stuff I can freeze into ice cubes from the Halloween store. And so I've had like a, uh, a big dinosaur head mask puppet and uh, of course spiders and eyeballs and other kind of silly spooky things to freeze into ice cubes. But uh, there is a picture in, in the book of the thing I think is just hilariously silly. And it's a plastic shark that I've frozen kind of at the surface of a, an, a big slab of ice with a, the shark fin sticking out of the top of the ice and the rest of the shark submerged. So I guess it's a little bit Damien Hirst and it's a little bit Jaws. I like that. I also like that because, I mean, I know you've seen these. I've seen these. Everybody who's in the cocktail world has got these from somebody like, here's some ice little cubes. And they're like an ice tray that makes like little sharks or little fins, but they're not really effective because they're, yeah. well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons those like novelty ice cube trays aren't great. So I love that. And um, I don't know if I'm allowed to uh, take a picture from your book and put it, put that picture in my show notes. But if I am, I will, if not, <laughs> well, well, we'll ask our PR agents. We'll ask the uh... PR people if I can. So <laughs> listeners, maybe, or maybe not, you'll see a picture of that you might have to buy the book. Um, okay. So um, no, but what do you, okay. First of all, hearing that I want to come to your house for Halloween and see whatever <laughs> stuff you have floating in your punch. Um, but like, what do you really do? Like at home, like, is it, as an ice professional, um, like people always ask me, what are you doing for cocktails? I'm like, basically when I have people over, it's a lot of kind of like basic stuff or things that are crowd pleasers. What do you really do at home when people come around your house with, with your ice? What are your ice tricks? Well, uh, I actually don't have all that many people over very often. So a lot of my ice, like it, there's a picture on the internet and then it melts. Um, but, uh, so I have, you know, during the pandemic, people got really into home hobbies, like making sourdough bread or kombucha. But uh, all of us were kind of making more than we actually consumed. And that's me with ice. So I've got right now, my freezer is 100% full of the greatest ice that's never going to get consumed. But um, if uh, I'm going to a party or a house party or something like that, I'm I'm the guest that you want to invite because I'm going to show up with a big bag of ice with patterns on it and super clear and ice spheres and everything like that. And then you can drink whatever you want on it. doesn't matter to me <laughs> at the end of the day. But uh, at home, I tend to have drink neat spirits over a big cube or ice sphere. And I'm practicing uh, to carve ice diamonds. There are some photos in the book, but it was actually the photographer who's a former bartender who carved the diamonds that are in the book. But uh, uh, that's fun to practice. So, of course, I have to make the extra big ice in order to carve it into diamonds. And I'm trying out new uh, tools. I have a Japanese wood chisel that's very fun to use and starting with that. So a lot of what I'm doing is just continued experiments. You would think 13 years on, I would have run out of stuff to do with ice cubes, but kind of just in the middle or maybe even just getting started with with everything that you can do with it. It's uh it's a hobby. It's arts and crafts that you can drink at the end. 
It, well, but even better, right? Like I feel, I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I, you know, I've been watching academics for, you know, since for a very long time and there's always something new and interesting. And uh, yeah, no, I think that there's probably no end to what can be done. So I'm, I'm, I look forward to seeing what else comes out of your experiments and your, you know, arts and crafts. Now, when you were talking about tools, you were talking about your tools. Uh, what do you recommend for people at home? Like what kind of tools are interesting for them in terms of people who might want to start getting into better ice? Well, I think step one is evaluating your freezer space <laughs> because mm. the, the way I make ice takes up a whole lot of room in the freezer. And, uh, you know, in America, it's it's very common um, for people who own houses. I just live in an apartment, but uh, people with houses very often, almost consistently have more than one freezer at home. So you have your freezer in your kitchen and then a spare freezer where people might store, oh, if they're hunters, they'll store the meat for the year in there yeah. or frozen peas and, and stuff like that. So Americans tend to have a lot of freezer space to work with. If you don't, uh, you're still going to have to carve out some space, but you can kind of skip a step and purchase a smaller clear ice making tray. So there's a lot of products have come out since directional freezing was since we figured that out, uh, none of which I own. Uh, but you can get a tray that makes two cubes or two spheres and up from there at a time. And so you might want to optimize for the size of your freezer. And you could just get uh, something that makes a, a couple cubes at a time. And uh, using that, you can do still most of the, the tricks. You can freeze stuff inside of it. Like uh, there's an olive on the cover of the book, frozen inside an ice cube, makes a nice martini if you drink it on the rock and uh, things like cherries for your Manhattan. And uh, then you can press patterns on them. And that's a new thing that people are doing with clear ice. You start with clear ice and you can just press a pattern onto the outside, finding something that's metal and patterned. And there are special devices for it now that you can spend a lot of money on to make patterns on your ice cube. And so of course I do um, because I'm a fool and uh, making funky ice like that. So I would say to get started, evaluate your freezer situation and find something that will work for you to fit. And then you might become an obsessive and own a second freezer in your tiny apartment if you are like me. Uh, well, I'm an obsessive. I mean, I used to live in an apartment that was about, I don't know, um, 15 square, well, 30 square feet. And I actually had a separate freezer just for ice because I was in France and it was that teeny tiny fridge that didn't have a freezer. So I had a freezer that was the size of my fridge just for ice and I still have it now. And my husband thinks I'm nuts because I'm like, don't put anything in there. That's the free, the ice freezer. But yeah, so, you know, once you could say obsessive or you could say genius, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, okay. Um, I, I have so many more questions, but we're kind of running towards getting closer to the end. So um, one question before I want to move on to a different topic, which is last book and other things, but have you noticed, do you ever talk, I don't, I don't know if you do or not, but like uh, you know, in France, I've talked about how ice isn't really that big of a deal. It's changing. Like, do you notice any like generalizations in globally in other countries about how they approach ice? Like, I feel like Japan, they're crazy. Like, you know, they were the ones who were carving spheres before anybody else. Um, any interesting uh, observations you've made in other geographically about ice? 
Yes. And uh, actually, there's a book coming out by another author, and it's more of a historical book about ice. It's called Ice and something like an history of an American obsession, something like that. Okay. Uh, abundant ice is very much an American affectation that has spread abroad. And it was, there are lots of historic quotes about like this amusing habit the American have, have has of um, putting ice in their beverages because it was uh, a new thing at one point, And that's meaning the 1830s or so. And okay. uh, it's it spread from there. In Japan, the way ice is produced is different than it is uh, small cocktail bars, of which there are many thousands. They don't have ice machines uh, in the bar. They Ice is delivered daily from an, an ice company, and that ice is produced in ways that um, it doesn't lend itself to cubes. So it's a giant slab of ice that then is cracked into those random little pieces or maybe a big block that bartenders carve but they have to essentially get their hands on it all the time and that's why they've become associated with great skill in manipulating ice and um and some cultures uh, some asian cultures ice uh, and cold beverages are considered bad for digestion um and uh, people tend to avoid ice in beverages um traditionally and i in my last book doctors and distillers i have some quotes uh, about that and from people traveling in America. I mean, like for some reason, anytime you get a drink, they'll put ice in it without even asking your permission. <laughs> <laughs> and I found that when I was doing a lot of uh, bartending for uh, tech events uh, back before the pandemic, that there was uh, going to be some people who request no ice in a cocktail. And it's like, uh, but it's going to be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so I was always uh, negotiating that. I found ways to to compensate for that. Uh, well, that's good that you did. And I mean, most of my listeners, I, I'm sure know this, but uh, you know, if you're just newly listening and newly into cocktails, you have to have ice, you have to have that because it makes it cold and it makes it diluted. So, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, funny story about this, like no ice. I just went out this weekend and I had my, had like a little Yeti, like, um, thermos bottle with me that I carry around a lot. And I rolled into someplace to a cocktail bar and I just really wanted some cold water and, uh, and so they brought the water and I just put mine right into my, um, Yeti cause it already had ice in it. And the friends who are not American said, what are you doing? Why are you putting in there? Is that, or is there alcohol in there? I said, nope, there's just <laughs> ice in here. I just want my water on ice, which I'll never find here in this bar. So yeah, I really like, <laughs> I really like my ice. Okay. Um, we're getting closer to the half hour. So I do want to, like, I love talking about the ice. But I would love to also, can you just tell listeners a little bit about your last book? Because I think that's that's um, really interesting to talk to um, for them to know about doctors and distillers. And by the way, listeners, I will put this a link to it in the show notes. So just give them a little rundown on what it's about. Sure. Well, that's the unlike the ice book, which was quick to write, but includes lots of pictures and it's a fun hands on project. Doctors and Distillers is like a three year research project into the overlapping history of alcohol and medicine. And it goes through medicinal and scientific thought throughout the centuries and kind of shows how alcohol is involved in every single step of the way and the relationship between alcohol and medicine changes over the centuries but it's always always there and uh, we can look at any cocktail and then break it down into its ingredients and look at the medicinal history of those and so when i talk about the book giving talks and lectures 
I will often, rather than go in chronological order, I'll just go in ingredient, like let's pick a cocktail and break it down and look at how it's all medicine right down to the sugar and the citrus for scurvy and things like that. And how carbonated water itself changed the course of medicine because it led to the understanding of elemental gases and the germ theory of disease. So there's a lot in in the book and uh, I I hope some people uh, will find that of interest. I agree. There's a lot. I think that it's a super interesting book. Like I said, I'll put the link to that in the show notes uh, listeners, because it's worth, it's definitely worth a, worth a read. Um, but also camper also has a site called cocktail safe and cocktail green there. It's org. both of them um, cocktail safe. You talk about different, like I know, like we're all experimental as cocktail people, but there's some things that we maybe should think twice about doing. So that's what you talk about on co- cocktail safe, right? Like, like, let's be careful yes. maybe with uh, dry ice or with um, uh, or you know, your choice of flowers yeah. that you might Ooh, freeze yeah. into an ice cube. Well, you should first check that that flower is not poisonous because it might be very pretty, um, but not safe to uh, drink. And uh, it, so it's a good place to, if you're using a new ingredient, um, it's, it might be good to check it out first before adding it into a drink. And there's mentions of stuff that is known to be safe on there, as well as a lot of stuff that's there for being unsafe, like tobacco bitters and things like that, that should not be used at all. Yeah. Well, I think for me, even somebody who really like likes cocktails and I, you know, I'm not like, I don't, I'm not huge DIY because other people do stuff better than me, but like, it's, it's a great resource because sometimes I just think, why don't I try this? But maybe, maybe give it a second thought before you just get too creative there and, you know, accidentally poison yourself. So, um, so I will put links to that in the show notes as well. And now we're kind of getting to the point where it's time for the cocktail of the month. And I think, I hope you're going to do what we, what you mentioned you might do, because I think that's going to be a great one on this, on this, um, theme. So what's your cocktail of the month? It's the cocktail of the month is a sherry cobbler. Yay. Okay. What is it? and so I developed a, a specific one to to go with the ice book. The Sherry Cobbler is a, a very classic uh, cocktail. It's a, a basic sour cocktail, but I optimize it to use some colored flavored ice. So step one, you make yourself some cranberry juice ice cubes. And a cobbler, cobbler ice is cobblestone sized bits of ice. If you don't have a tray for that, you can use a regular ice tray and then kind of break up that ice with the back of a spoon or something like that to have smaller pieces. And you can have a combination of regular, regular cloudy old ice and uh, cranberry ice in the glass because it's going to act like an ingredient uh, in the drink. The cobbler itself, uh, I chose to make one. Typically, we would use a um, probably an Amontillado sherry uh, in a sherry cobbler because it's uh, richer. But for this, I used uh, Fino sherry, but specifically Tio Pepe sherry because it's very fruity and and clean and uh, clear. <laughs> Importantly for the ice book, so I started with uh, ninety mils of Tio Pepe sherry, added just fifteen mils of orange juice and the bottled orange juice from the stores, totally fine for this, and then half that quantity, so about eight mils of a simple syrup in the drink. Mix those three together and pour them over your combination of clear and cranberry juice, and you've got yourself a sherry cobbler. Maybe garnish that with a big sprig of mint on top. I like the sound of that, and I like it because it seems, well, I actually am a big sherry cobbler fan. I feel like there's kind of a lot of history of that, like 
back in the day in France. And I kind of try to encourage people to revisit that. Um, but I also like that because with the, the orange juice, simple syrup, all the ice, it's also kind of a light and refreshing thing. So, you know, that's something to think about guys, like kind of a nice, like easy, like think about that for your like barbecues this summer, things where, you know, people might be putting back a few, but you've got all that ice in there. That's going to dilute it a little bit in the orange juice. So yeah, I'm definitely going to give that a try. And it's a nice um, low ABV drink in exactly. the first place. So great for session drinking. We actually, in the photo session, shooting the book, uh, after we photographed it, then then we all drank it as we were shooting the rest of the, <laughs> the photos from that day. And everyone agreed that it was delicious and refreshing. So I was that my theory was confirmed that that is a darn good uh, session drink. Well, I'm sure I will confirm your theory soon because I will be making it soon. So, um, so that's pretty much a wrap. Is there anything else that you want to add for any of our listeners? I will put um, where they can find you um, in, on social media, et cetera. But is there anything else they might need to know about you before we call it a wrap for this uh, episode? Nope. I think the, uh, the rest is left as an assignment to the reader to uh, check out the books and academics and the the other websites should you be so interested. Excellent. Well, I re, uh, listeners, I really do suggest that you, I will put uh, links to all that in the show notes because I do think if this is an area you're interested in, and even if you don't think it is, but you just like to be a good home bartender or a good host, you should check it out anyway. So I'll put links to all that in the show notes. And otherwise, that's pretty much a wrap for this month's episode. Come back next month. We will be interviewing more interesting industry personalities. And uh, if you're looking for more cocktail and drinks talks between shows, head over to 52martinis.com. If you'd like to carry me around in your pocket, download the iOS app, Paris Cocktails. I um, keep pushing to get the Android version, so hopefully we'll have that soon. Um, as always, additional thanks to World Radio Paris for editing and production. Thank you to Sun Little for the music that we use. Uh, links will be in the show notes for everything we talked about. Um, as usual, I remind you to drink responsibly, and I love doing the podcast, but if you find it fun, or even if you don't find it fun, pop over to iTunes or wherever you are listening to your podcast and leave a comment, leave some constructive criticism. And until next time, cheers. Oh,